Good to see each of you here this morning. It's time to begin our services. If you're visiting with us, we want to especially uh, welcome you and thank you for being here and ask that if you would fill out a visitor's card, which is in the pew in front of you, and uh, if you could just drop that in the collection plate here in a few minutes, we'd greatly appreciate it. Also, just uh, like to invite everyone back this evening for our uh, PM services, which will be at 6 p.m., and also our midweek services, our Bible study will be on Wednesday at 7 p.m., so just encourage everybody to, to, uh, to make it to that. Also, if you haven't done so, um, make sure you pick up a bulletin, all of our announcements and uh, upcoming activities. And also, just a reminder on the uh, food pantry needs. We still have some shortages in the food pantry, and uh, those are highlighted in the bulletin. They have little stars by those that we uh, are, are really low on, and if you wouldn't care to help out with that, I know that uh, would be greatly appreciated. Also, just a reminder of our prayer list on the back. Uh, continue to keep each of those individuals in prayer, and uh, also uh, our shut-ins. Um, you have our shut-ins on the list, and in trouble there. It'll work. <laughs> It'll work. I have to do the book with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to work. So we have to do our books. Uh, as mentioning is our shut-ins as well. You know, we have uh, a lot of in individuals that are shut-in and. If you get an opportunity to just drop them a note or uh, give them a phone call, I know they would, would be encouraged by that. Uh, I think that's all the announcements I have. As always, Dave will have our full, complete announcements at the end of services. As we prepare to, uh, to enter our worship services, I would like to read from 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, as we come to you this morning and prepare for our worship services, Father, we just thank you, Father, for being our God. We thank you for all the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us as a body of believers. And most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, we ask your blessings upon our time here this morning, that all that we do and say will be pleasing to you, will be in accordance with your word, Father. Father, we're mindful that there are so many that are unable to be here, that are dealing with various health issues. We pray for them. We pray for healing for them and pray for our shut-ins, Father, and that you will comfort and, and bless them. And, and Father, Father, we're so thankful for the many answered prayers that you have uh, uh, blessed us with, uh, the healing that's been done, the good test results that have been received. We thank you for each of those. And and Father, we pray at this time for Israel, for the um, challenges, the, the conflicts that are going on in the Middle East. We pray for, for that, pray that you'll be with those, uh, those people, those innocent people, and, and just be with them and bless them and pray for peace. Father, we thank you again for being our God. 
We ask your forgiveness when we do fall short and sin against you. It's through Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. Please stand for the first song. First hymn this morning, number 501, Oh, Worship the King. Sing all three verses. Oh, Worship the King. Oh, Worship the King. Next hymn this morning, this morning, number 238, Holy, 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 <clears throat> 238, we'll sing the first three verses of this hymn, and then Brother Chad Ward will have our scripture reading and prayer.
Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we humbly bow before you this morning, Father, on this Lord's Day, praising you for all that you are, Father, for all that you have created. Father, we're thankful for the time that you grant us to be here on this day to worship you. Father, I ask your blessing upon Chris as he'll soon present a lesson to us, Father, that you will watch over him and bless him and thankful for the time that he has spent in preparation for this morning. Pray that you will continue to to bless he and Kelly and that you will be with Dave and Mandy and watch over them, Father. Father, I pray that you will watch over the sick of our congregation. There are so many that you will be with Roger and Peg and Charlie and Alice, Friday and, and Jimmy and, and Jim Haney. And Father, there's so many others that, that I pray that you will watch over them and bless them. Father, most of all, I'm thankful for the gift of your son who willingly went up to the cross, Father, to, to sacrifice himself for us. Father, watch over us, forgive us when we sin, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'll be reading this morning from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish, Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Next sentence this morning, number 769. Why should he love me so? 769. Let's sing all three verses. Loves it my Savior to cry in my bed. Why should he love me so? Meekly to Calvary's cross he was there. Why should he Why 
begin this morning, I would like to uh, start by reading from Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. The significance of dying words of people throughout history is great. Winston Churchill said, I'm bored with it all as he passed away. Harriet Tubman said, give my love to the churches. Tell the women to stay strong. How much greater is the love, how much greater love is it for the dying words of Jesus? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. The depth of the love there is, is tremendous. There's an angry mob standing there. He had been nailed to the cross, but he still pleads for the sinning man. As we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper, some of the, one of the things I like to do is pay attention to some of the words of the songs that we sing. And one of the ones that really has a lot of meaning to me goes, I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom be and quicken from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? My father's house of light, my glory circled throne. I left for earthly night, for wandering sad and lone. I left, I left it all for thee. Hast thou left aught for me? I suffered much for thee, more than thy tongue can tell. A bitterest agony to rescue thee from hell. I've borne, I've borne it all for thee. What have thou borne for me? And I have brought to thee down from my home above salvation full and free, my pardon and my love. I bring, I bring rich gifts to thee. What hast thou brought to me? Would you bow with me as we're taking the bread? Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father. We're thankful for this opportunity we have to gather around your table, Father, as we are commanded to do each week. Father, we're thankful for the, the bread which represents the body of Christ. Be with us as we partake of it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Bow with me again, please. Once again, Father, we come to you thanking you for this opportunity. Father, we thank you for the, the willingness of Christ to go on the cross for us. Father, we pray that you would pray that you would be with us as we partake of this cup, which represents the blood that Christ shed for us. So in his name we pray. Amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper. While the ushers are still on the floor, we have another commandment we do at this time, which is our giving. Would you bow as we give thanks for everything that we have? Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father, and we're thankful for the opportunity to give back, Father. We are truly a blessed nation. Father, we thank you for everything you do for us. Be with us as we give back. We do so with a cheerful heart. And it's through Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Let's all please stand and we'll sing hymn number 660. There is a habitation. We'll sing the first three verses. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> There is a Invitation hymn this morning, number 767, Who at the Door is Standing, this time Brother Chris. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 27 this morning, if you want to be flipping there. That's where we're going to spend our time. Um, and I want to make a couple of housekeeping announcements before we, we get there. Of course, you know that our trunk or treat's coming up on October 28th. Uh, so we're going to do a Bible-themed uh, trunk or treat this year. So I think we've got 11 or 12 uh, trunks uh, that have already signed up. If you want to sign up, there's still time to jump in and make sure that you note which, uh, which Bible story your trunk wants to cover so we don't have duplicates there. Last week I announced that we're going to start a, a series uh, over questions our community has about God or the Bible or spiritual things. Uh, so take out your phone again and Text that person that you discuss spiritual things with and ask them, what, what's a Bible question you have? Uh, and we'll, we'll cover those things. We'll cover, I don't know, eight or ten of, of the most um, asked questions uh, that, that people have uh, throughout the rest of this year on Sunday mornings. That's when we're going to do those. Uh, I think that's everything. All right, Acts chapter 27. Let's get into our text. Uh, we are closing down the, the book of Acts. Between this week and hopefully next week, we'll, we'll get to close down the book of Acts and, and close out this series and start the next one with the, with the questions. Uh, but uh, this, this Acts 27 is, is a fantastic passage. 
and you're going to benefit greatly from it, I am sure. Um, Paul is shipwrecked, at least he's, he's finally um, going to get to go to Rome. He's going to start that journey. He's not, going to get to, he's not going to get to finish it today. It's going to take several months for him to get to Rome, and it's not that long of a trip. Uh, so there's some obstacles that stand in his path, but we know finally that he didn't get a fair trial at all in uh, Caesarea Maritima, certainly not in Jerusalem. And so now he has set sail for Rome. He jumps on board a ship headed to Rome that's from a place called Adramidium. Um, and he's under the guard of a guy named Julius. Julius is a centurion. Centurions in scripture are notoriously good guys. Uh, many of the, the centurions that you'll find in scripture are um, religious. And they're asking religious Questions. They're solid uh, Bible students, really. Uh, you remember the centurion that comes to Jesus and he, he wants his servant to be healed. And uh, Jesus says, yeah, I'll come with you. I'll heal your servant. But you remember what the centurion says next? You don't have to come with me. I, I, I'm a man under authority. I have guys uh, above me that give me orders and I know what to do with those orders. I follow them. And I've got guys underneath me. I, I'm a man of authority. I've got guys underneath me. That, uh, that do what I tell them, and I tell one go, and he goes, and I tell another one to come, and he comes. I, I get what it means to have authority, and I believe that you have the authority to say right now, from a great distance, not even having seen my uh, servant, not having touched them, but just to say the words, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus, do you remember what Jesus says? Not even in Israel have I found such great faith as in this man. Centurions are usually painted in Scripture in a good light, and this one will be no different. He is kind to Paul. Though he is Paul's warden throughout this three- to four-month journey, he will be kind, extraordinarily kind. Um, he, he goes above and beyond. He does things for Paul that would have gotten him in trouble had Paul not had the integrity that he does. He gives Paul the opportunity to run away at least once. But Paul comes back, of course, because it's Paul's desire, God's desire, that Paul get to Rome. On the, on the screen behind me, you see the, uh, the tumultuous journey that they took to get from Caesarea Maritima all the way to Rome. And like we say, it's going to take three or four months to get there. And as you read through this, this text today and this week, uh, I want you to underline all the times when he says it was with great difficulty that we, that we went on this trip. There are a lot of times when he says something like that. He's going to use a variety of words, Luke will, to include this thought for us. But I, I want you to take note of every single one of those times because I think it's going to be helpful for you. And I'll tell you why it's going to be helpful for you as we get into the lesson. But I want you to note those things as we walk through this series of, of verses today. So he's going to encounter a lot of wind. This is um, a dangerous trip, especially during the time of year that they're doing it right now. that uh, They're doing this trip 2,000 years ago in the exact same period of time that we're living in right now. It, it would have been in mid-October that this trip is happening. And mid-October in the Mediterranean Sea is a dangerous time to be on the Mediterranean Sea. 
winds are, are, are um, normal during that time period. Storms are often during that time period. And in fact, they're going to encounter a storm here called the Northeaster uh, that is quite violent. So if you look on the screen, you'll, you'll notice that they're kind of going above and underneath islands. That's in an attempt to get some shield from the wind. And so they're, they're trying to get away from the wind, but it's blowing them all over the place. And this ship is just not designed to, to withstand that kind of force. Um, it's, not, it's not made to do this, the, what they're trying to make it do. Uh, eventually, they're going to leave the ship from Adramidium. I think it leaves in Sidon. So very quickly, uh, you'll, you'll kind of notice Sidon's... My laser pointer doesn't work. But it's just north of Caesarea. Uh, so they leave it there, and they're going to jump on a ship from Alexandria. Alexandria is in Egypt. Egypt and Rome have this um, understanding that, that Egypt will ship grain to Rome, and that Rome will pay them for this. It's a pretty good deal for both countries. <coughs> Excuse me. So many times a ship <coughs> full of grain will go from this area to Rome, Several times a year. This is one of those ships that Paul jumps on. They don't have cargo ships, or they don't have passenger ships in the first century. All they have is cargo ships. Uh, so Paul jumps on a cargo ship full of grain and, uh, to make his way to Rome under the care of Julius, the, the centurion from the Augustinian cohort. Interestingly enough, do you remember where they were, Caesarea Maritima? There's another centurion earlier on in Acts, that's also from Caesarea Maritima. His name, Cornelius, right? I don't know if Cornelius and uh, Julius knew each other, but I kind of got to believe that they do. They live in the same city and would have had meetings uh, being of the same rank. So again, there's another centurion that was held in high regard. So they're trying to get to Rome, but they keep on running against this wind and they keep uh, trying to find a way out of it uh, into safety. In verse 13, back chapter 27, he says, Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. That was just uh, a pipe dream. That <laughs> They had been in this, this tough wind for a while now. Um, and, and so when this gentle wind comes in, they think, oh, we've made it. It's going to be clear sailing all the way home to Rome, and it's just not. Verse 14, a soon a, a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. They're going to try to find safety again uh, underneath this little tiny island called Cauda. It's not going to provide safety, and they, they keep on being driven. Eventually, they're going to uh, find this place called Fair Havens. You'll see it uh, right here. It's on the Isle of Crete. So you can find Crete right in the middle of the Mediterranean. Uh, that little black dot at the, at the bottom, the south part of Crete, is called Fair Havens. It's a small city. The sailors don't want to winter there. They're going to spend three or four months in this place, and there's nothing to do <laughs> there. Uh, and so they, they're looking for a bigger city. And so they want to move on down the island of Crete to a place called Phoenix. It's only 30, 40 miles um, down, down the ocean, um, but that 30, 40 miles is going to cost them quite a bit. Um, so they, they finally get down there, uh, and 
um, that's where they run into this storm. Listen to, what, listen to what happens in verse 19. On the third day, they threw out the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. All of these guys think that they're about to die. We find out later that there's 276 people on board, including Paul, the other prisoners, Julius the centurion, along with all the sailors that are manning the ship, including the captain and the pilot of the ship, and not a single one of them think that they're going to live. In fact, you're going to find out in just a couple of verses that they are so storm-tossed that they're seasick. I don't know what it takes to make a sailor seasick, but I bet it takes an awful lot. These guys are so seasick that they're not eating. They're, they won't have eaten for 14 days by the end of the time when Paul says, Listen, we're about to be, get shipwrecked. You guys, you're going to survive because the Lord's appeared to me. Remember? This is, this is where uh, it all, it all kind of starts fitting together. Remember where the Lord appeared to Paul and says, You're going to Rome. You don't have to worry about dying right here in Caesarea Maritima. You're going to go to Rome because it's my will that you get there. Paul's will aligns with God's in this instance. Paul also wants to go to Rome to preach to them. God wants him to go to Rome to preach to them. And so he appears to Paul in that vision, and Paul's nerves are settled as the Lord stands by him, right? We talked about that. Again, in this ship, during this 14-day period, while the storm is tossing this, this boat backwards and forwards, God's going to appear, Jesus is going to appear to Paul. And he's going to say something along the lines of, nobody's going to die, uh, and everybody's going to be fine. Um, so let's, let's pick up in verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. He's kind of saying, I told you so, right? He's not rubbing it in for the purpose of rubbing it in, though. He's telling them, I told you so, because hopefully they'll listen to what he says next. Because what he says next is going to be important for them. So you should have listened to me in verse 22. Yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no, law, no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I, have found, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. And they do. Eventually, they're going to run aground on Malta. The story is going to continue here for several more verses, though. And Luke's going to be very specific with how this storm acts and how the sailors act. Um, and it's interesting what all he brings out. We don't have time to go through all of it today, but you need to um, go through it on your own this week and notice some of these similarities between a character in the Old Testament that you know well. Can you advance my slide for me? It seems to have gotten stuck. There it is. Um, so in Acts 27, you're going to find several similarities between the Old Testament prophet Jonah and Paul's journey here in Acts chapter 27. It is more than just the shipwreck. Uh, certain people will act, people will act a certain way when they become shipwrecked, when, when they uh, are in a storm. People act very similarly, but the similarities 
go beyond just two men who are in a, uh, a storm. Notice that there's a great wind in both uh, stories. The crew didn't want uh, to uh, throw Jonah overboard. They don't want to, um, uh, in, in 27 verse 11, um, they don't want to, uh, well, 27, 11, um, they don't want to listen to Paul uh, as he tells them that this is a bad idea to go during this time period and because the storms are, are um, normal during this, this period of the year. Paul's traveled this area an awful lot. Throughout his three missionary journeys, he spent a lot of time on a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and he has probably, apparently, more experience than the captain or the pilot of this ship because they think it's okay and Paul knows that it's not going to go well. So you just see a variety of similarities between Paul's story and Jonah's story. You remember, of course, Jonah's story. The prophet uh, is told to go to which city? Do you remember? He's told to go to Nineveh, right? Uh, and there he's going to preach uh, sin. He's going to preach repentance. The people there are living lives that are against God in kind of every way possible. Every way that you can think of, every sin um, that man might be given to, the Ninevites have given themselves over to that sin and God says, I, I can't stand it anymore. I need someone to go to them and tell them that judgment's coming. And you're that guy, Jonah. You're my prophet. You go to Nineveh and you tell them in 40 days, if you don't repent, I'm going to overthrow this city. And Jonah says, okay, I'll go, right? It's not what he says, is it? In fact, he heads the opposite direction. Nineveh is inland from, from Israel. Let me bring back my, my map here. Maybe. Yeah. So if you look at the map, you see uh, Caesarea and Jerusalem. Nineveh is on, off the map over here somewhere. So all he had to do, he, didn't ha he shouldn't have gotten on a boat at all. He should have just started walking on inland uh, to Nineveh. But instead, he heads over here. Uh, Nineveh is in modern-day Spain. And so it would be over on this side, on the other side of the map, from, uh, from Italy. So he heads in the opposite direction, uh, as far away from Nineveh as you can get. Can you advance the slide again? Clicker's dead, I guess. Um, so when Jonah does that, he boards that ship. You know what ocean he's in? He's in the Mediterranean. He's in the exact same body of water as Paul is in. It's just one more similarity. There are lots and lots. There's even several that I don't have on the screen uh, behind me that you should notice. So why is God trying to get this point across to us? He's obviously drawing our attention to Jonah. In Acts 27, he wants us to see Jonah disobeying God. Why? Why in the world would he put Jonah right here in the middle of Acts 27? Why does he want us thinking about that? Well, Jonah disobeyed. God, right? He went the opposite direction. He was aware of God's will and chose something else. He knew what God wanted and made a decision not to give it to him. It's a dangerous thing, isn't it? Especially in Jonah's day. Jonah's kind of amazed that God hasn't already struck him dead. He thinks that when he's thrown overboard, that's the end. This is God's judgment come for him. Little did he know that God had appointed a great fish that would bring him 
to do God's will anyhow. He was going to get a second and third and fourth chance as you read through his book. So what does that have to do with Acts 27? Paul's right in the middle of God's will. What God wants is for Paul to go to Italy. And in front of Caesar, Paul was supposed to testify about the truths that Jesus really did rise from the dead, that he really does have demands on Caesar's life and everyone under Caesar's control. In fact, everyone on the whole world, God has demands on their life and that judgment is coming and that he should repent. That's what God wants. And in fact, God has already told Paul that that's what he wants. Happily, it's also what Paul wants. His and God's will lines up perfectly. I think that's what he wants us to see in this passage. Can you advance it one more time? Yeah, two more times. <laughs> that's Jonah. So how, how do I know God's will for me? That, that's really the question, right? Because obviously if you look back in Acts chapter 27, you can't know God's will for you based on your circumstances. Right? Because Paul is just as squarely in the middle of God's will as one can be. God has told him what he wants. Paul has agreed, I will do that thing. And then difficulty after difficulty after difficulty after difficulty, go back through and underline those points in the text, happen to Paul. This journey is incredibly difficult. So much so that experienced sailors give up hope that they're going to live through it. That's how hard it is. Just because you're in the middle of a difficult season doesn't mean you're not doing God's will. Just because you're in the middle of a difficult season doesn't mean you are doing God's will. Right? Jonah's in a crazy difficult season when he's in the, middle, middle, he's in the belly of that big fish. Right? That's probably not where he wanted to be. Right? It didn't indicate that he was doing God's will, but it, it didn't indicate that he was either. Paul is on this ship and experienced sailors have been throwing up for two weeks <laughs> to the point that they don't, they're not even hungry anymore. There's plenty of food on the ship. And in fact, just a couple of verses later, all toward the end of Acts chapter 27, they're going to throw out the, the food. They're, they're going to throw out the wheat and all this stuff. I'm guessing it's in barrels. They would have thrown it overboard. They've got plenty of food. It's not a lack of food that's the problem. It's a lack of want of the food. You ever been that seasick? Ugh. You ever spend any time in the ocean like that? This ship is being tossed about like crazy. So much so that these guys are seasick. You can't tell whether you're in the middle of God's will by your current circumstances. So how do I know whether I'm in God's will? It would be nice if when we did what God wanted, everything came up roses, wouldn't it? That'd be, that would be ideal, right? That would be a pretty clear sign that I was doing right if he just removed all these obstacles out of my path and everything went perfect, right? If I woke up with a smile on my face every day and all my circumstances were just ideal, I could not ask for better, better circumstances, that would be a clear sign that I'm in God's will, right? It's not. Often, listen to that, often... In Scripture, you'll find guys that are smack dab in the middle of God's will. They're doing exactly what He would have them to do. And they suffer incredibly. 
we got to get over the idea that God's going to bless me if I do His will. He will. That's coming. But it might not be right now. Right now you might be in the middle of the um, Mediterranean Sea in the middle of October, in the middle of an incredible storm that you didn't ask for and that you don't want because you're trying to do what God would have you to do. So how do I know His will? How do I know what He wants me to do? The only thing I can think of is exactly what Jonah and exactly what Paul, how they knew what God's will was. He told them. You don't have to wonder what God's will is for you, right? You know what God's will is for you. He told you, right? It's right here. He wrote a whole book. You want to know what he wants? It's right here. He wrote it down for you. That's handy, right? So you want to know what his will is for you? Well, a guy comes to Jesus and he says, what's the greatest commandment of them all? If you had to sum up all 630 of the laws of the Jews, all, all, the, all God's laws in the Old Testament, how would you sum up those things? Do you remember what Jesus said? Love God with everything you got, right? It's Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love God with everything you got. That's the first commandment, right? That's the most important one. He says the second one's like it. You love your neighbor like you love yourself. So you love God and you love people. You want to know his will? That's his will. You love God and you love people. Well, how am I going to go about doing that? Well, again, we don't have to wonder because he's told us. In John 15, verse 14, Jesus would say, You are my friends if you... Do you remember... If you follow my commands, you want to be God's friend, you want to do his will, you got to follow his commands. In Psalm 119, verse 5, the psalmist reminds us that we obey them, at least ideally, we should obey them consistently. Steadfastly is the word he would use, but the word is consistently. We've, we've talked about that a little bit over the last several weeks of not just following his laws, not just being his friend occasionally, not just being his friend one day out of seven or two days out of seven, but every moment of every day, I'm consistently following his will. I'm putting him first over everything else. Nothing else matters. Paul would say in Philippians 3, verse 8, that he counts all things as rubbish. Everything's trash in comparison to having my relationship with Jesus. Paul had an awful lot to be proud of, didn't he? A Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. He's got a really good pedigree. He could trace his lineage all the way back to Benjamin, right? He's probably a member of the Sanhedrin. He's got the religious pedigree that everyone in Israel wants. Sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He is himself possibly a, a, a rabbi. He has the credentials to become a rabbi himself. He says, oh, that's trash. What do you hold up? Paul would have held up those things because those are the things that are important to him. What do you hold up? What's important to you? What do you value the most? All that's trash in comparison to your relationship with Christ. If you don't view it as trash, you might not be loving God 
with everything you got, not with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because if you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you don't have room for anything else. Everything else has been pushed out. Nothing else matters. You don't know what God's will is for you. You love God with everything you got. You follow His commands consistently. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. You not, only, you not only follow His commands, and you not only follow them consistently, but you do so out of an attitude of love, not out of obligation or duty. Sometimes we do the right thing because we would feel guilty for not doing it. Sometimes we do the right thing because other people might think less of us if we did the wrong thing. Sometimes we just do the right thing because it's a habit, maybe. It's almost become rote, you know. Maybe there's nothing wrong with that, but we need to do the right thing. We need to follow His commands consistently, not out of duty, but out of, out of love. This isn't a burden we've been given. Oh, I've got to follow God's laws. I can't go do what I want to do because I've got to, I've got to come to church on Sundays. can't go to that game because I've got to go to church on Sunday. Man, what? <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the attitude we need to have, is it? Oh, I, can't, I can't go to that place because that's not what a Christian would do. What? This is not who we ought to be. We don't serve out of feeling burdened, we, we serve out of love, don't we? Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, Paul writes this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. He says, this is an incredible gift you've been given. Don't you ever view it as a burden? It's, it's not even a, a result of works so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is not a burden to us. This is a joy. I don't walk around thinking, ah, oh, I've, I've got I've to do this. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to pray more. I've got I've to be more involved in uh, discipleship. I've got I've to be present for the worship services. That's Completely the wrong attitude, isn't it? You know what God's will is for you? Love God with everything you got. And when storms come, you stick with it. You push through it. You stay with them. Because you can't really tell whether you're in the middle of God's will for you or not based on your circumstances. These guys couldn't. You can't tell the difference in the circumstances between Paul and Jonah. Jonah is going the opposite direction from God's will, and Paul is right in the middle of it. The only way you can tell God's will for you is by what he told you. He told you what he wants. Love God with everything you got. You don't have room for anything else. This is all-consuming. Moses would put it like this. God is a jealous God. He doesn't have room for anything else in there. He's all we've got. He's all we need. Second commandment. 
You want to know what God's will is for you. Love God with everything. God, but love people like you love yourself. Often, we sin against each other, don't we? Certainly, those sins are offensive to God, and certainly, they ostracize us from Him. But lying hurts you and I. If I were to lie to you, that, that, that offends you. If I were to be angry at you, if I were to gossip about you, that, that is, those are horizontal sins, aren't they? If I were to use my words to hurt you, that, that is a horizontal sin, isn't it? It still has vertical implications, vertical ramifications. Those things still offend God, and they will separate me from Him. But they also have horizontal sins, a horizontal aspect where those sins offend us, you, me. You don't know what God's will is for you. You love people like you love yourself. You wouldn't do anything to hurt yourself, would you? I wouldn't. I do an awful lot to make sure that I don't hurt myself, right? I bet you do too. How much more careful are we be with each other? That's God's will. Because in Ephesians 4, he says, in the church, you do what? The church's obligation, our responsibility to each other is to build each other up so that we can all get to maturity. We're pushing each other to maturity. And when I lie, when I'm gossiping, when I'm angry at you, it just doesn't work, does it? I'm not pushing you toward maturity. I'm pushing you away. That's God's will for you. You love God with everything you got, and you love your neighbor like you love yourself. We don't, we don't have to wonder what his will is. He wrote a whole book telling us what his will is. The problem is obeying it. That's what Jonah found, right? Jonah didn't want to obey. He was clear on what God's will for him was, and he chose something else. I don't know how Jonah's story ends. I often wish I did. I wish there was a Jonah 2, <laughs> a sequel, where we got to see Jonah be more like Yahweh. Be kind and be generous. Be happy that people have come to repentance. I wish we had that we don't, obviously. Jonah is so far away from God. He's eventually doing what God would have him to do. He's eventually following God's will. But where's his heart? Ah, it's so far away from God, isn't it? Where's your heart at today? You may be doing the right thing. You may be here, you may be in worship, and you may be having read your Bible, and you may be, you may be, praying, you may be loving God, and you may be loving people, but maybe your heart's not in it. This is a heart thing, isn't it? Christianity is, is a heartfelt religion. The actions matter. But the actions don't matter if your heart's not in it. 
And so today, if you're ready to get your heart engaged along with your actions, we would love to pray for you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. To really love Him and to love people. To be right in the middle of His will. This morning, if you have not been baptized, you're still struggling, lost in your sins. And judgment day is coming. But that doesn't have to be a bad day for you. It can be a glorious day, a day you look forward to. But you've got to get rid of your sins first. Those things have to be washed away, and that only happens through the power of baptism. This morning, if you're ready to give your life over to Him, why won't you come as we stand and sing? morning church family. I hope everyone is doing well this morning. Um, if you're visiting with us, if you can take a moment to fill out a visitor card in front of you, we'd love to have a record of your attendance here with us this morning. Uh, there's a black box in the back of, um, of an auditorium. Uh, just place that card in the black box. Uh, greatly appreciate it. A um, couple announcements before we are dismissed. Um, youth Devo for middle school and high school uh, this evening after services at the Wallace's house. Um, uh, please bring chairs for that. Uh, I believe that the weather cooperates, and I believe it will, um, that uh, y'all will be having s'mores out there, so that's always good. So please bring your chairs uh, with you, but that's a youth devo at the Wallace's house for middle school to high school. Also, deacons meeting today at 5 o'clock, so deacons, please uh, put that in your schedule, deacons meeting at 5 o'clock. Uh, this Tuesday's Young at Heart. Uh, we will be heading to Casa Grande. Uh, 
we'll be meeting here at the building at 1030. Also, uh, this Saturday, uh, October 21st, Life Group 3 will be meeting as Jeremy's uh, Life Group at, the, at Sandy and Joe's house uh, at, the, at their pond for a bonfire. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun, and that's at 530. Also, next Sunday, October 22nd, will be the youth-led service at Pleasant Ridge Church of Christ. Uh, services start at 10 o'clock there. Also, Saturday, October 28th, not this coming Saturday, but next Saturday, is Trunk or Treat, and that's at 6 o'clock. If you're planning on decorating your trunk, it is a theme uh, this year. If you're planning on decorating your trunk, please uh, sign up on the youth table out in the foyer um, and how you're going to decorate your trunk, so that way we know how many people are going to be out there. Also, November the 12th, uh, after morning services, Life Group 2, that's Gary Leap's Life Group, uh, November 12th, will be hosting a veterans dinner. Uh, this is to show their, our appreciation to those who have served our country uh, here at Rome. So uh, remember, uh, November 12th, the Life Group 2 will have a veterans uh, dinner. Also, uh, I have some great news. Uh, Wesley and uh, Lindley, they got hitched. Um, they got married, for those who don't know what that means. Uh, they, uh, they got married uh, Saturday, so that's great news. Um, uh, so send them a card, congratulations. But uh, they got married in Arkansas. That's the reason why the entire pew of Stevens are missing this morning. So, um, But uh, that's great news. Updates on our, um, on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers. I do have great news about Jimmy. Um, he's in remission. So that's great news. Uh, praise God for hearing our prayers on him. And uh, remember to keep Jim and Margaret in your prayers as well. Um, also, remember to continue to keep Jim Haney in your prayers and Tanya Shamblin and Jim Martin in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatment. Uh, remember to continue to keep Tim Hewitt in your prayers. He's still at St. Mary's. Um, he's been in there since Wednesday, so keep him in your prayers. Keep Judy Jordan in your prayers as well. Uh, Jim has a doctor's appointment uh, this Wednesday, uh, so keep him in your prayers. And it's good to see John Klein with us this morning. Um, uh, keep Friday Simpson in your prayers as well at this time. Keep Carolyn O'Lynn in your prayers. Uh, she's at Wingate. Uh, keep Peg and Roger and Charlie and Alice Boso in your prayers as well. And uh, keep uh, Nancy Black, that's Marvin's aunt. Um, uh, she had a stroke, so keep uh, Nancy Black in your prayers. And also... Uh, keep um, Elaine Witt's son-in-law, Steve Marlanto. Elaine, how do you say that last name? Marlano? Maturlo. So I'll come close. Well, that's a, I'm a, I knew I was going to butcher it. Um, but uh, keep uh, Steve in your prayers as well. Um, that's all the announcements I have. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. Um, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. I'm glad everybody was here this morning. Last hymn this morning, there were 626. Let's please stand and we'll sing the first and the last verse. <clears throat> and then Brother Alan Payne will lead us in prayer. <clears throat> first and last How sweet will be the brother's heart with this short life is born.
Let's pray. Our wonderful and divine Father in heaven, we, we thank you so much for all you bless us with, the opportunity we had this day to come together with our brothers and sisters and sing praises to your name and to study your word. We're so thankful for that and most of all for your son Jesus who died for us and shed himself on that cross. Father, we pray before we part here this day that you would be with the members who are traveling and watch over them, keep them safe. Be with those who are ill, who are suffering from some various um, illnesses. Father, we pray, pray that you'd be with them and the doctors and the medicines to help them to, to get well. Again, Father, we thank you so much for all you bless us with. We pray you please watch over us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for last night. Oh, <laughs>